to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not um, serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. 
someone was to sit you down and to ask you to tell your story, what do you think it would be? What do you think it would sound like? Would it be a comedy? Would it be a tragedy? Would it be a, a quest with a hero? Would it be a love story? What would your story include? Up to this point, of course, it's not finished yet. Would it be filled with success, conquest? Would it be one that's filled with sorrow and unfulfillment? Would it be one that is filled with satisfaction? Or would it be one that included guilt, loneliness, regret? You know, listening to people's stories can be fun. And usually, given the chance, people are really keen to share their stories, aren't they? Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, John gave us that advice on how to engage people, how to get to know them better. He said that one of the best things that we can do is to ask big questions about their lives and then to sit back and to listen. And once they've given their answer, to take a drink and to slowly take a big sip. And then put our cup down again. And that usually what will happen is in that space, in that silence, the person will start to speak again. And you'll really get the, the deep things, the fuller things that they want to share. Or another example, parents, caregivers. You're used to picking the kids up from school and asking that usual question, how was your day? How was school? How have things been? And you get the monosyllabic answer. Good. Fine. Okay. And one of the things that we can do, even if we're frustrated, because we genuinely want to know what's been happening in the day, is to reflect those answers back with a little inflection at the end. Good? Fine? Okay? And let me tell you, usually, nine times out of ten, it unlocks the door to all this information that's bubbling, that's simmering underneath the surface that they wanted to tell you. Because people do want to tell their stories. And we like to hear people's stories. Especially stories which resonate with us. When we see something of ourselves or our own situations in the stories being told. And when we see ourselves in other people's stories, it can really benefit us. It can really help us to, to navigate or to, to, to ground and find ourselves and to find resolution for our own stories. A good story which matches up with where we find ourselves can bring us hope, peace and joy. We've had read to us this morning 1 Peter chapter 1 and it is just the beginning of this ancient letter that is written by one of Jesus' closest disciples. It's written to a dispersed group of Christians who have found themselves under all sorts of pressures. It's funny, isn't it? No matter what century we find ourselves in, no matter what continent we find ourselves in, people's lives, people's stories are often filled with difficulties, with suffering, with sorrow, amongst other things. And Peter is writing this letter to this dispersed bunch of Christians because he wants to encourage them. He wants to help them. He wants them to see how even in the midst of their present circumstances, they can have hope and peace and joy and he does it by offering them a connection to two stories he wants them to have in their minds as they survey and consider their own situation two stories he wants us to look at our lives 
and our circumstances, the stories that we might tell that might be full of guilt and regret and sorrow and loneliness and to have these two story in mind in order to encourage us to this morning. Now, one of the stories you'd be forgiven for not noticing that was there because A, it's not a story that's particularly familiar to a lot of us and B, it's only sprinkled in there. It's only hinted at. He only uses words and phrases that are support a, you know, kind of get the, the, the nerve endings in the brain firing. It's the story of the Exodus. Do you know the story of the Exodus? I mean, maybe you do. Maybe you've been in church for a long time and you've heard it preached and explained. Maybe you've read it in the Bible for yourself. Maybe you've watched that Disney film, I think it is, The Prince of Egypt. It's worth watching even though the singing in it is awful. But maybe you don't know the story of the Exodus. And and, and why would you? It's someone else's story. It's a story from another culture, another age, another continent. Nonetheless, Peter wants us listening to his letter to have this story in our mind. So let me tell you in a nutshell the story of the Exodus. It is a story of rescue. It is a story of redemption, of recovery and delivery. And if you open your Bibles, you'll find a book in it entitled The Exodus. And it begins with this nation of Israel who are enslaved. They are temporary residents in a foreign land and their liberties, their freedoms, they've all been removed. It starts with this nation who were within a larger hostile nation and they are crying out to God for help. They're crying out to God for rescue. They're crying out for grace and mercy and kindness to be shown to them in their difficult, even tragic condition. It starts with this cry and it starts with this cry being heard. And it's genuinely an amazing story. It's a supernatural story that involves plagues, um, not burning, burning bushes, snakes, sticks, a man named Moses, um, a God named Yahweh. If you're not gonna read it, then it is genuinely worth at least watching the film. And there comes this point in the story, the people crying out, God hearing, God promising to do something about it, when God says he's gonna do something decisive. He's gonna do something at last, on the other side of which his people will be free. Finally, at long last, that prayer that's been cried out for for decades is going to be answered. God says to the nation who's within the hostile nation, Get yourselves ready. Literally, gird your loins. Tuck your cloak into your belt so that you're ready to move out because I am about to rescue you. I am about to redeem you. And the strangest thing happens. In order to make a way for them to leave, they have to prepare a sacrifice, each family, each household. They have to take the blood of a lamb or a goat. They have to sacrifice that animal and and paint its blood on the doorframe so that when God comes to judge, he passes over their house. And so the people do it. They listen, they respond, they gird their loins, they tuck their cloaks in, they, they unleaven their bread, they paint their doorposts and they are ready and waiting to head out of all the disaster that they've lived through, through into glory. 
and everything God has said that he will do, he does do, and it's wonderful, and off they go, and they're free at last, and they even pass through this sea whose waters have been split apart by God, and they arrive safely on the other side, and the waters close over so the people who are chasing them can't ever chase and come after them again, and it's wonderful, and they sing. Oh, how they sing. Apparently, it's the first song recorded in the Bible. I think it's in Exodus 15. They say this, The Lord is my strength and my defence. He has become my rescue, my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. He is my Father's God. I will lift up his name. I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. And all those who were treading on our necks, all those who were pushing us down, all those who were robbing us of life. Pharaoh, his chariots, his army, God has dealt with them and thrown them into the sea. Hurrah! They join together with one voice and sing. Our story is a story, a rescue from all that. But they don't stop singing there. Actually, they carry on singing. And they don't just sing about what has happened, but they sing about what will happen. You. God, are the one who stretch out your right hand, your strength, and the whole earth swallows up your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead us, the people you have already redeemed. In your strength, you will guide us to your holy dwelling. You will bring us in and you will plant us on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, that you have made to be your dwelling. That's where you're leading us. That's where you're taking us. That's where all this is heading to a place where you reign forever and ever. So the story, though dramatic and exciting up until this point, is not nearly finished. Actually, if you've got the book of Exodus opened and you've, and you've gotten to this point, chapter 15, when they're singing about the rescue that God, the redemption that God has achieved, you're literally not halfway through the book yet. Because the story is one of being rescued from something and delivered to somewhere else. See, in the midst of it all, God has been promising them this inheritance, a place of their actual own where they wouldn't be temporary residents abroad anymore but they would be a people in their own land in their own land and even more wonderfully than that uh, the promise is that there they would be with God and that they would live and experience a blessed life an abundant life a life of rest at last it's generations later until that promise is realized and it is realized but not until after an awful lot of hardships have been endured, not until after a lot of suffering and sorrow has been experienced, not until a lot of what we would just call life has been lived. Along the way, they experience hunger, they experience thirst, they experience sickness and opposition and selfishness and anxiety and worry and trepidation and war and compromise and disillusionment and discouragement and yes, even death. They experience all of that. There's an awful load of stuff that has to be overcome, an awful load of stuff that has to be endured. But in the end, this is the story they arrive at last at home and they find rest. Now, maybe in my retelling of that story, that history, immediately you can relate. 
You can relate and see elements of your own life, of your own history, of your own current present circumstances and situations, of your own ambitions and dreams and obstacles and demons. Or maybe you don't. Maybe that story means nothing to you and you can't understand why this story, you're not even sure if it's true or not, it sounds pretty fantastic, but it's got to do with a different people in a different place, in a different time. Why on earth you should know it? Why on earth you should care about it? Why on earth you should be bringing it to mind when you're, when you're considering your own circumstances? Well, Peter does want us to bring it to mind. I'm quickly just going to prove myself, if that's okay. In verses 1 and 17, he calls the people who received this letter temporary residents abroad. He calls them exiles. That's the exact same thing that the people were at the start of the Exodus story. In verse 4, he starts to speak about an inheritance that doesn't spoil or fade. Like they sung about in that song, what you give us, Lord is a place where you reign forever and ever. In verse 13, he uses this strange expression of girding your loins. It's so strange, in fact, that in our English translations, they've taken it out. It just says, be ready, be prepared in your minds. It's literally gird your loins, exactly what they were told at that decisive point in the Exodus story. In verse 16, he even quotes one of the commands, one of the instructions that was given to them. Be holy because I am holy. It's literally lifted out of that story and plonked into Peter's letter. In verse 19, he speaks about redemption. More than that, he speaks about redemption through the blood of a lamb. An absolutely foundational element of the Exodus story. I'm sure there are more things I could highlight, but that should be enough to prove it, that he wants us to have these people. He wants us to have that rescue. He wants us to have that struggle in the interim period and that resolution at the end, that finally arriving and experience and inheriting what God has promised. He wants us to have all of that in our minds when we consider ourselves. But why? Why does Peter want us to have someone else's story in our minds? Well, I did say that there were two stories that he wants us to have in our minds. And the other one is far less subtle. The other one is the story of Jesus. And the way Peter explains it, Peter explains it such that if we understand the story of Jesus, and if Jesus' story is our story, then that links us and that connects us to the Exodus story. There are so many um, uh, things that are the same, so many similarities, so many things that are picked up and, and find fulfillment in Jesus that that story through Jesus can be our story and can be a great encouragement to us. Now, my guess is that the story of Jesus is a lot more familiar to us. My guess is that the majority of people listening this morning have been with us for the last couple of months as we've been exploring the Gospel of Luke, retelling Jesus' story. And even if we haven't, then we know from culture, from school, from from wherever it is, we know the headlines of Jesus' story anyway. Jesus came, didn't he? God taking on flesh, Christmas. Jesus died. He was hung on a cross and, and stabbed through the heart. It's Good Friday. Jesus rose to life once more. The empty tomb and Easter, resurrection. You see, that story, if we're part of it or if it's part of ours, connects us to the Exodus story. If I may, Jesus' story then 
is a story in which we are the ones doing the crying out. We are the ones who are suffering. We are the ones who are in slavery. We are the ones who are foreigners abroad for a certain time that need to be rescued and redeemed. Are we? From from what? How? In the Bible, there are several strands of it, but basically it comes down, we we are slaves to sin, to Satan and to death. They are the things that that hold us. They are the things which entrap us. And the story of Jesus is the story of coming and dealing decisively with all of them. Dealing decisively when it reaches this high point, this moment when the chains are finally broken and there is total release. When Jesus sheds his own blood. Not something perishable like silver and gold used to pay the price to set us free, but his own blood. Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Lamb without blemish or defect. His blood is spilt. And on the other side of that decisive moment, life is found in a way that it wasn't before. Resurrection life. Glory that follows suffering, Peter puts it. Jesus' story is a story of rescue, and not just rescue from one thing, but rescue from everything. Because we'd all tell our stories in different ways. And Jesus' story is the answer, it's the resolution, it's the rescue that we all need, no matter what we put in our own story. Do you need rescue from guilt? Jesus' death was about our forgiveness. Do you need rescue from loneliness? Jesus' story is about us being brought into a family. Do you need rescue from meaninglessness? Jesus' story is about having a purpose in life. Do you need rescue from sorrow and regret? Jesus' story is all about turning those things upside down on their head. If you are lost, Jesus can find you. If you are dying, Jesus will bring you life. If you are alone, Jesus will come alongside you. If you are dissatisfied, discontented, disgruntled, disappointed, whatever it is, Jesus is the one who comes and rescues. He can resolve all of our stories. If we just tuck our cloak into our belts, paint our doorpost and follow him, we trust in him, we have faith in him and obey him, Jesus is willing to come into our story. Jesus is offering to take us into his story. Will you? Will he? Here's the interesting thing, I think, for those of us who have made that decision, who have decided, yes, I want Jesus' resolution, his rescue, to be a part of my tale. His big story of making everything right again, I want to be a part of that story. Here's what I think is really interesting, really helpful. The whole point of what Peter is trying to do at the start of his letter and as we carry on. What's really interesting is that that means we can find ourselves in the Exodus story because we are a people who have been redeemed. We are a people who have been rescued. Paul, Peter doesn't just use those words in a random sort of way. He applies them to the Christians that he's writing to. 
And he wants us to see that in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our strugglings, we are like the Israelites between two places. Between the the decisive rescue on the one hand and the, the walking into, the enjoying, the experience of that full inheritance on the other. We're in that period of struggle, of suffering, of difficulty. In Peter's language, we are waiting for an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. You know, if we look at any of our lives, even just the last 16 months as a snapshot, they are, they're difficult stories, aren't they? They are stories that are filled with sorrow, loneliness, anxiety, hopelessness, doubt. I don't know, maybe there are still stories over the last couple of months that are filled with guilt, frustration, hurt, anger. We need Jesus to be connected to that old story, to see something of how it all plays out in the end. Because when you're in the midst of that, the temptation is to question. The temptation is to grumble. The temptation perhaps is to throw our arms up in the air, to cast off the story of Jesus and to go looking and searching elsewhere. The encouragement here for us in 1 Peter is to look to that old story of the Exodus and to see that there is certain hope even in our present circumstances. We need to be able through Jesus to witness and to stand that generation that struggled struggle for so long before the promise was fully realized and to see that in the midst of it all there was still so much grace that in the midst of all the darkness there was light at the end of the tunnel you know to fill out the story of the exodus a little bit more 40 years it took them to get from a to b and in that time when they faced so many things god gave them water god gave them food God gave them shoes and clothes that never wore out. Although that they were attacked and opposed along the way, they were never defeated. Even in the midst of the longest, hardest slogs of their life, there was grace abounding. And that's why Peter wants us to have that story in our mind. That's why Peter wants us to be able to see ourselves in that story and to to find our own story and to navigate using it. He uses that story to write and to encourage us in the middle of whatever our own hardships are. I found this quote this week and it's, it's from someone this year who has gone through so much. Someone whose life story, let me tell you, is is filled with heartbreak and sorrow. It comes from one of those people you hear about and you ask, why can one person go through so much? It's not about looking back, but in the midst of all of her sickness and sorrow and relational hardship, one woman seeing the truth of the Exodus story and the hope that it presents. She says this, God doesn't take away my darkness. God gives light. God doesn't spare me thirst. He brings me water. God doesn't just cure my loneliness. He comes so close that I can't but know that he's there. Why would I think in the midst of all my my pain, that it means that God is far away. 
She's saying that God, even now, even when it hurts, is a God who is giving. If Jesus' story is part of your story, then we need to find ourselves in the Exodus story and take courage this morning. Take confidence in the fact that though not finished, though dark for a time, yours is a story that is heading somewhere wonderful. And yours is a story that will be filled with God's goodness all along the way. Because Jesus' story is a story of glory through suffering. The Exodus story is a story of rest at the end of walking. Our story is a story of hope in the midst of hopelessness. This morning, what we need to do is fill our minds with those stories and then find hope and peace and joy in the midst of our own. Lord, help us to see not simply the circumstances that we find ourselves in, but the things that have happened before and the things that certainly will happen in the future and to relate ourselves in the midst of all that. You are a God who rescues through Jesus. You are a God who forgives in Christ. You are a God who draws near and adopts and blesses through your spirit. Lord, you are a God who is preparing and has prepared for us a great and glorious future where thirst is something that's done away with, where hurt and pain and sorrow and sadness are things that are erased from existence. But we know that in the meantime, in the now, in the present, life is still hard. Lord, help us with the certainty of what happens in the future and the certainty of your closeness, your nearness, your grace to us in the now. To be a people who are filled with hope and peace. That when we consider our own story, it would be a story of joy in who Christ is, in what Christ has done for us, what Christ is doing for us, and what Christ will do for us. Help what we know to be true, to be true in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen.